Hello and welcome to Elixir Talk, the podcast where we discuss your questions about uh, the Elixir programming language, application design, and the state of the ecosystem. I am your co-host, Desmond Bowie, and I'm here with my other co-host, Chris Bell. Hello, co-host Desmond Bowie. How's it going? Hello, co-host Chris Bell. What is your week doing? Where does the name Bell come from? Bell? Yeah. I don't know, actually. I should know like some kind of family history, but uh, I, 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 I don't for some reason. Come from a long line of bell ringers, bell makers? The long line of bells. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really don't know. What about Bowie? What's the etymology of that? Uh, it's a French name. A George Bowie came over from Alsace-Lorraine in uh, the 1830s. <laughs> settled in Ohio. No, I'm serious. Settled in Ohio. <laughs> no, I'm laughing because like the fact that you know all of this. Yeah, I know my family history. Don't you? No, I'm just... No, evidently not. After you asked me the origins, and I have no idea. And the, the fact that you can just go and start talking about this guy who came from France, it's uh, its impressive. Yeah, we have this whole thing. Um, my grandfather put together genealogy uh, before he died, which was almost 20 years ago. And my sister keeps this up now, and she's sort of the uh, family historian. Nice. Yeah, so George came over, settled in Ohio, ended up marrying a woman named... Uh, Clara Hebe, who is German, and she was from a small town uh, near Alsace-Lorraine, but on the German side. So these two people came over from separate countries, settled like in the same town in America, and ended up getting married. Yeah. There you go. There you go. And now you're here, doing an <laughs> Elixir right. podcast. So <laughs> I don't think they could have foreseen this. They couldn't have foreseen it. What's new in the ecosystem this week, Desmond? That's a great question. The big news, or some big news, is that the new version of Distillery came out. Uh. Some of you longtime listeners may remember when Paul Walker, Distillery's author, was on the show uh, several weeks ago. Paul, hey, well, back up there. It's Paul Schoenfelder, and his oh, name you're right. is Bitwalker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're right. Man, here I am talking about genealogies, and I totally screw up this guy's name. You're Paul Walker of... The Fast and the Furious films, R.I.P. You definitely didn't write this library. <laughs> so not. No. But anyway, there's a there's an announcement blog post on the Dockyard blog that we will link to in the show notes. I am assuming that most people who listen to this podcast have probably already seen that because that's pretty big news in the community. Yeah, on the show, Paul was talking about this new release and how he's been working on it for a long time, some of his motivations for it, and things that he wanted to change, uh, things that he had learned from the first version of Distillery that now have finally come to the rest of us. Definitely. It seems like everything that Paul talked about in there has kind of come to fruition. Um, and I think the biggest change that has come out has been all the configuration um, and specifically around runtime configuration versus compile time. Um, and they've kind of introduced this new config providers method to, to be able to do runtime configuration, which replaces the old, what was that old? Oh, replace OS files, that's it. Which was yeah, yeah. basically a ginormous kind of hack in Paul's own words. So Chris, do you want to give us a little background on why the whole compile time versus runtime configuration thing was an issue? No, but yes, sure. Um, <laughs> I'm going to stumble my way through it. So the problem is, is that often 
well, in an Elixir application, you have your configuration, and when you compile your application, all of that configuration gets baked into that release that you're building, if you were using the previous version of Distillery. And often, in the case of applications in in a world outside of um, outside of Erlang and like how how things get built in the Elixir community, you often want to like inject kind of application configuration into there. So you might use something like environment variables or some other configuration injection method. Most likely, it's going to be environment variables, I would imagine. And what often happens is is that you will in your configuration file you'll do something like system dot some um some database username yeah exactly some kind of environment variable and what will happen is at compile time well first of all you'll think that's all good then at compile time what will happen is it will try and get that variable invariably you don't have it injected into the context where you're doing your compilation because you've probably got a separation between the thing that's compiling the application and the thing that's running the application and then what ends up happening is in your release you end up with code that doesn't have the correct variables injected into the configuration so the solution here well the 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 temporary workaround solution that that Paul added into distillery was this idea of replace OS files. And basically what replace OS files does is you add a string with some specific interpolated kind of variables. And then at runtime, what happens is they all get run through and swapped out with all of their application get, well, sorry, the system.getenv equivalents. So what that does is basically says that at runtime, if you've got a bunch of environment variables, they will get injected into your configuration with the correct values. So this had some downsides in that everything was a string to start with, um, which I guess was okay. You could you could parse it separately. But there was always this weird separation between runtime configuration and compile time configuration. And some things were okay to be compile time and some things weren't obviously okay to be runtime or compile time. And not just that, but a lot of libraries would do things differently. There wasn't a standard way of, of yeah, configuring things. Right. You've definitely seen this thing uh, a lot recently where people have started using this tuple-based configuration where you'd say like system and then you'd give it the environment variable name. And then basically what would happen is inside of inside of the, app, the code of that library at runtime, it would load the variable from the system.getenv equivalent. But like ultimately that was that was a pattern that people were trying to introduce that was really kind of a hack for doing some of this. So fast forward to now, um, and basically what this release of distillery does is introduces these separate configuration files that that the idea is that they live inside of your rel folder to indicate this difference between like the compile time configuration and the runtime configuration. And inside of the runtime configuration in these rel release directories where you're going to house all this new configuration, the idea is you can just add in things like system.getenv and specify the environment variable that you want to, to load. Um, and then at runtime, this will get executed and everything will just work. Magic, TM, that's it. And that is all you need. So in the announcement blog post, by the way, Paul writes really great announcement blog posts and really good documentation. So 
good on you paul for doing that first and foremost um but digging through it like you get a really clear example of like how this will be how this would work for a typical phoenix app you can do things like casting it to an integer at that point as well if it's a string um and then you'll just have integers to work with for things like your port variables or whatever else you might need to have something that's other than a string so yeah it looks it looks like the solution so i'm excited to dig into it me too and it's also nice that they've provided a a way to kind of stack your configs so you can define several different configurations uh and fallbacks and like configs that override each other so i think that'll be helpful as well if you're deploying to different environments like maybe you want staging to look like production and only some things are different but some things are the same Mm -hmm. so that's another another useful thing yeah and i think the cool thing that i i was like skimming over some of the other stuff that that's happened here so first of all like these configuration providers can be in different formats as well so i already noticed that someone had produced a a tuple based configuration provider so you can keep that format that we talked about before where you'd have uh like your system and then something else or whatever the tuple is that you want there paul actually wrote a toml based configuration provider as well which allows you to write all your configuration in toml files and you could even do that for yaml or whatever else you wanted as well if you wanted to break it out of just the the typical kind of elixir format which is cool i don't know if i would ever want to do that but it's it's an option you know i've never used a toml file you haven't no what is it um so it's tom preston werner the guy from github or formerly at github it is a it's it stands for Tom's obvious minimal language, and it is a configuration kind of markup language that aims to fix some of the weirdness of using YAML. Mm. It, it's actually quite nice for doing certain things, so we can link to it in the show notes. I'm sure that there's probably people who've been familiar with it, but you know when you get like very deeply nested YAML configs and things like that, and things start to look very weird and not really make much sense. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's probably why it exists. Cool. Uh, no, I remember using YAML years ago, but I haven't. I don't think I've used it at all in an Elixir project. No, me either. I think like that kind of went away for me when uh, I switched over from the Ruby world into the Elixir world, and no longer had to deal with it. And yeah, I've I've been quite happy with like the configuration, uh, except for all this like runtime versus compile time. <laughs> stuff that uh, honestly that's tripped us up in production a couple of times um expecting things to be there and actually the value has been compiled in and it's actually the wrong value and just a few different things like that have happened yeah it's annoying when you have to keep that in mind like that there are different stages of building your app and then running it i mean you think like i'm going to create this release and then it's just going to work but there's actually several phases going on under the hood and it adds a lot of cognitive load to setting that up. And I mean, there's there's reasons why it is that way, like historical reasons why it's that way. But from a developer UX perspective, it's it's caused a fair amount of bugs. I mean, I'm not going to say it's, you know, like a null pointer type situation, but it has caused some pain. And I'm glad that we finally started to address it. Yeah, no, honestly, I think it's caused a lot of pain. And I think it's really good of them to identify this and potentially have a solution for it and then like it's interesting to think about the next evolution of distillery being actual mix releases built into uh, mix itself right and then brought into the core i think like 
I think like recognizing that as a community is a really good thing and seeing that actually this is a tool that has been well developed that we all rely on and actually should be part of like our standard library, you know? Yeah, exactly. Because like who builds an app and then doesn't deploy it? Right. 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 I mean, probably plenty of people, but I guess those <laughs> apps don't do much. But, but if you're doing that, it's okay, I would say. We've all been there. Yeah, exactly. Toy applications are a good way to learn, but maybe try and deploy them. But yeah, I think if if the uh, the core language has set it up so that you have, uh, let's say, a one-click build, and then you hook that up to some sort of one-click deploy, I mean, that's why Heroku is what it is. Right, absolutely. So I think that we will maybe have fewer developers who have built a thing and not deployed it. Yeah. And it seems like there's some other nice kind of additions in this distillery release as well. Um, so it's not all just about the configuration changes. So Desmond, as someone who likes hot releases, sorry, hot releases in my brain, hot upgrades, um, you'll be pleased to see that there's some app up additions and app up transform additions that are in there. I I am pleased. I haven't, I mean, I generally generate my my upgrades with eDeliver, which takes care of a lot of creating the app up files for me. I haven't had to tweak them directly, and I'm sort of afraid to. So are you talking about eDeliver's RELUP kind of stuff? RELUP patching or whatever it's... Yeah, and the background is when you create a upgrade, you have to tell the VM exactly how to perform that upgrade. In other words, what are the new modules? What modules do you have to unload? What modules do you have to change versions of? And so forth. And it goes through several steps for each of these. And a lot of the time, eDeliver just takes care of all that for you. The file is, I guess it's not complicated, but it's its sort of opaque. Like it's a little tricky and it's difficult to understand how to construct one by hand. I would not want to construct one by hand. And I've just taken for granted the fact that it gives these things to me for free. But I think when you get into things like, well, I'm, I'm altering my supervision tree you could just turn it off and turn it back on again. But if you really want to say like, well, here are new children, that requires, I don't think eDeliver is smart enough to know that that change has been made in your in your code. Mm. So then you'd have, to, you'd have to change the release file directly. Which again, I haven't had the stones to do, but I'm working on. And at any rate, they have a tool in eDeliver to modify the file directly, which for some reason has never worked with me. I don't know if I haven't set up like a default editor properly. But now this new version of Distillery lets you write Elixir code to create these app ups. Right, that's right. So maybe you should try this out and then uh, let us know how that goes. Maybe I should, Chris. It's, and it's also it's cool to think about like not having to use a separate tool as well. If you could, you know, deprecate eDeliver from your suite and then only use. I guess you're using eDeliver for other reasons as well, though, right? Yeah, I mean, it takes care of a lot of the bash scripting around create this folder, uh, run these other commands like build Phoenix Digest or something. Mm. I wonder if some of that needs to get built into this release framework that they're adding into core. I mean, like we were saying earlier, if it's better if the one tool that does all this is just the one tool. That's not a great way of summarizing what we just said. <laughs> but there should, like, all the release stuff should just be in one space. And, I mean, eDeliver is a, a super useful tool. Mm. so i'm not at all knocking the the folks who created it but it would be nice to have all this in one place and you could take it or leave it or just configure everything like in elixir as much as possible instead of having to drop into bash mm -hmm. definitely um one of the just 
on the note of other changes in this distillery release, there have been some nice kind of tool additions for custom commands as well. So we have to run like migrations and things like that inside of distillery. Mm-hmm. And there's been this new release under CT release underscore CTL command edition. And you can eval raw Elixir in there as well. And you can even pass it module function arguments to get invoked as well with, with, with arguments passed into those. So that looks really promising. Just like really nice little changes to be able to, 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 to kind of use this stuff more easily. You know what else would be cool about this is rolling in the ability to connect your current IEX session to the remote node. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it like does that linking kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Because right now you have to run, uh, and not archaic, but sort of. <laughs> I think I've said the same. I've used the same expression twice now. You have to run this uh, this funky command to get your IEX session to talk to the remote one. You have to pass in the cookie. I mean, I don't know because you also have to set up the port mapper on the host to expose the correct ports. Mm. So it's a little more involved. But it would be cool to see this tool go further and become like your general build the release and interact with it tool. Because mm-hmm. it, in theory, already knows about your cookie. Well, maybe it doesn't if you're setting your cookie in your environment. Right. There's not. There's no guarantee that you're definitely doing that. Like We definitely wouldn't want to do that for a production build or anything. But mm, That's true. Yeah. I mean, there are like tools inside a distillery so you can call RPC and eval things like uh i think you can do the rp i like i haven't played around with this part so this is like brand new information for me but the rpc command uh can be used for remote evaluation i don't know mm-hmm. uh, i don't know if you've ever used that i have not but that's more for things like i want to run a task or mm. clear something out right as opposed to inspecting the state of the system right 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 Oh, yeah, that's true. I guess, like, using... Otherwise, you need to connect on the EPMD kind exactly. of... Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I guess this doesn't do that. Interesting. Something to play around with. Yeah, totally. EPMD, for our listeners, is the Erlang port mapper daemon. And what happens is the Erlang VM wants to... When it connects to other nodes, it does so over various ports. And you have to expose those ports on your server presumably your firewall has blocked access to the machine on all but a couple of ports so you need to open those and then map those to your local machine somehow so that when you turn on uh, a, a node on your local machine which is what an IEX session is the two know how to talk to each other like these all these ports are exposed properly and can communicate so uh, do you have you done that have you often exposed it yeah, I do that on my Crivalli servers. Right, right. So then you can do this kind of remote introspection. Yeah, exactly. And I've set up a couple of bash scripts to be able to streamline a lot of that stuff. The tricky thing is you need two windows, two windows open. One is an SSH session that forwards the remote EPMD ports to certain local ports on my machine. And then another to run my another window to run my local node, my IEX session. And then talk to those ports on my machine, which, again, are being forwarded up to the other ports on my server. Right. Right. So there's a bit of fiddly kind of opening up different things. So have you written bash scripts that will just kind of sort this all out for you then? Yeah, they take care of it. But again, I have to run it into... I have one script for the SSH forwarding and another script for running the IEX, IEX mm. session. So right, right. 
it's it's as streamlined as it can be without excessive jiggery pokery, but it's still it's still kind of hacky. Well, it's something that I haven't really ever played with that much, like that introspection tooling. So it's cool though, because then once you get an IEX session connected, then you can run the observer on your local machine, and right. it's talking to the remote. I know that that fe- always felt like like the promised land of like what <laughs> what we're all shooting towards. But, it is, man. It is cool. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, if do you actually get useful information from that? I always wonder, like, if you're processing like a high volume of stuff, like, is it that useful? Well, yeah, sure, because you can see like what exactly is in your ETS tables at a glance, and sure, I mean, you could do that from a console, right? But this having a GUI is kind of nice. You can see schedule activity. You can sort of click through the process tree and find the processes that are that you're interested in. Maybe one corresponds to a particular user. Or if you'll recall from Sasha Zurich's great MPEX talk, mm-hmm. uh, Solid Ground, you could find misbehaving processes that are chewing through your CPU because something got stuck in a loop. Right. Yep. That is very true. And a great talk if you haven't already seen it. Mm-hmm. So, Desmond, will you be at ElixirConf? Yeah, I will. I'll be there. Yeah? Are we doing a thing? <laughs> we meaning you and me? I mean, mostly about MPEX sponsoring a bar. Oh, yeah, we talked about it on a previous episode. Oh, so now it actually has to happen. That's cool. Okay. Yes, it actually has to happen, which reminds me I need to call the bar. Nice. So what what's the plan? Well, the plan is we're going to go to the same pinball bar in Belltown. Haha. <laughs> Belltown. Nice. Great like, name. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, that we went to last year. It's called Shorty's down on 2nd Avenue. So it's going to be pretty informal. We'll post something in the the Whova app that that we're using. That the conference is kind of like the main. It's this like Chris is giving me a funny look. It's this uh, app that I guess lets you talk to other people at the conference and also has the schedule for talks. So oh, and it also helps people coordinate rides from the airport. So probably worth downloading. Should be cool. Give you the lowdown, and we'll also post links to it on our Twitter account. But uh, we will be helping people to coordinate lift rides to get over there. We had a van last year, and that was cool. We're going to skip that this year, though, in favor of just having people Uber pool over. It should be pretty easy if people split it among three of their closest or newest friends. Does that mean the bar tab can be bigger? Oh, yeah. Oh, there you go. That's great. The bar tab is not the problem. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I remember hearing about last year where it didn't run out. (laughs) That's pretty great. Uh, yeah, cheap bars they're always good to host events totally yeah but uh we're excited to be doing more for the community and obviously i or well, actually i'm not going to be there but uh if you're there you should see desmond yeah come say hi i'll be there a bunch of mpex folks will be there so say hi to us and then a couple people a couple people from my company will be there is anyone from frame going no, we're trying to go to the big Elixir, actually, instead of ElixirConf mm. this year. Um, mostly because one of our engineers, Eli, is speaking there, along with you, Desmond. Along with me, Desmond. Yes. <laughs> and uh, you're t- talking about hot upgrades. So hopefully by then you would have gone through some of this distillery kind of new docks and new features and uh, be able to talk about that in your talk as well. Hopefully, it doesn't evolve into just a singing and dancing number. Well, I don't know if anyone wants to see that. After I, <laughs> I, I mean, I have kind of seen that and you doing it, and I don't know if anyone else would even care for that, you know. Well, we'll have the singing and dancing at the after party. 
There you go. How about Even that? better. But I will say that uh, my team is pretty interested in Elixir Conf, so we can chat with Bitwalker, Paul, about this new distillery. Because as we've talked about on previous episodes, we're in the middle of moving towards a different hosting situation. And we're going to be building out a lot of the stuff ourselves. So nice. a lot of questions about how we want to make the things we want to work work. And a lot of, lot of grilling with him. So definitely looking forward to that as well. Great. Yeah. And then uh, can we find you at any other meetups coming up? Well, actually, so my company Versus is now hosting the Elixir LA meetup coming up on September 20th. So anyone who's in the LA area and wants to hear us come talk, hear us talk about Elixir and play on our sweet pinball machine should come on by. It's on meetup.com. If you want to find the LA Elixir group, check it out, subscribe. It's Thursday, September 21st. Is that the 21st or 20th? Let me look this up. Everyone turn to their neighbor and introduce themselves. Say hello. And <laughs> Just when things are about to get interesting, we will be back at you. Did you find it? Thursday is the 20th. So Thursday, September 20th. Great. And you can often find me at the Elixir New York meetup. In fact, I will always be there. So uh, I don't think we've got another meetup planned right now, but um, you can always find that on the Elixir NYC meetup page, and we'll put that in the show notes as well. Yeah, I don't know how many of our listeners uh, live in these major cities or have Elixir meetups that you can go to, but... It's a great way to meet other people and yeah. like, and I mean, but beyond that, just grow the community. Like the podcast Definitely. is cool. Like the MPEX events are fun. Elixir Conf, uh, the annual Elixir Conf is super fun, but really the magic happens with these regular meetups yeah. with people that you can see in person. So, and I mean, just to, just to underscore this point, Desmond and I met because Desmond reached out on via, I think it was the meetup group, right? Or it, was, it might yeah. have been the Slack. Oh, it was the meetup group. Yeah. The New York meetup. And he was like, hey, I want to put on a conference. And I responded. So did a bunch of our other organizers at MPEX. And now we have a really regular group that goes to the, first of all, to the Elixir meetup here in New York. And then secondly, we have a great group that has been organizing this MPEX conference for the last three years. So... I, I would say, like, you know, if you want it, if you want to see it, make it happen. If you don't have one in your town or in your city or wherever you are, starting a meetup might seem intimidating, but find a space, post it, and I'm sure you can find other like-minded folks as well. And uh, that might that doesn't even have to just be for the Elixir community as well. You can broaden it outside of there. Like, I think there's a ton of overlap to in in the beam community as a whole as well that we could be uh you know kind of capitalizing on so yeah just go and do it just go do it and these things always start locally mm, definitely and um you know i i think like wherever you are um there's a community of people around you well mostly wherever you are um and if not make it happen so yeah call us up and we'll see if we can help you make it happen definitely yeah well on that note so thank you very much for listening as always uh you can ask us questions if you have anything pressing 
at our GitHub page, which is github.com slash elixirtalk slash elixirtalk. You can hit us up on Twitter at twitter.com slash elixirtalk. And if you want to rate this podcast or tell your friends about it, that's always great. Um, just get on wherever you get your podcast and hit the review button and that would be super appreciated so thank you every time you rate us well an angel gets its wings absolutely <laughs> <laughs> so until next time thank you everyone for listening and keep, keep elixiring, elixiring.